So I thought we'd start with a children's message today. I see a few of them online and here in the sanctuary. So every time I told everybody that I was going to be talking about John 3.16 this week in my message, they kept saying, that's the gospel in a nutshell. Has anyone ever heard that? Gospel in a nutshell. What does that mean? We'll talk about it later. But why a nutshell is what I wanted to talk about right now. Does that mean like, uh, remember, well, you probably haven't seen this movie, but like stuck in a nut and like, oh, how do I get out of this? It's Jesus in the nut. No, it's not that at all. So what does this nutshell mean? Well, I have a garden in my backyard and my wife has been showing me some things about how when you plant a seed or a nut in the ground, it becomes something else. It becomes either a plant or a vegetable or a fruit or even a really big tree. Now, hands up, children, if you have ever seen a tree. Nice. Look at that. Everybody playing along. Now, the other day, my baby and I, we went outside and we were touching different trees in our backyard and we were feeling them. Some of them had very crunchy bark, some were soft, some were super tall, some were really, really wide, so wide that when we tried to hug the tree, we couldn't even get our arms around it. It was such a big tree. Some of them had leaves Some of them didn't. But then we saw something really crazy. We saw a roly-poly. Do you know what that is? Have you ever tried to catch a roly-poly? They just roll away. They're almost impossible to catch. They're super fast. Now you can catch them pretty easily. But then we also saw something else. This was buzzing around one of the trees that had flowers on it. What do you think it was? It was a bee. We ran away. We didn't want to get stung. But the bee seemed happy because he liked the tree. And then we saw the most extraordinary thing in our backyard. Our backyard tree has almost like this little part where it like stops growing at the top, but then the branches shoot out everywhere else. And our cat was sitting on top of the tree taking a nap and we saw her. She loves that tree. And then another time I saw a squirrel. I've even heard wild parrots come by our trees. There are lots of things that live in trees. And I found out That those things live in the trees because they can eat the bugs, they can hang out on the leaves, they can do lots of different things, they can get shade from the trees, and trees even help us as well. They create like oxygen or something, science, and they're very important. But every single tree started out with something very, very small. And so I think it's called the gospel in the nutshell because it's just a tiny verse, right? It's just really, really small. But with that wonderful one verse, something big happens. We find out that Jesus died for us, that Jesus rose for us, that Jesus gives us forgiveness of sins, and that he even gives us new life, life to live right now in a special way. See, that tiny nutshell, that tiny small thing of the gospel grows super big and becomes super important in our lives. It helps us to be strong in Jesus and to know each and every day that everywhere we go, there he is with us. So here's what I want you to do. In your mom's purse or your dad's man bag, there's probably a pen or a pencil, or maybe you even brought some crayons. I want you to draw me a tiny seed and then a magical arrow that how that seed grew into a tree. And I want to see everything living in it. You can go as crazy as you want. If you want a palm tree, you can have a hippo living in it because everyone knows hippos love palm trees. You can put whatever you want in your tree and then you share that with me and we'll celebrate it together in a special way. Sound good? 
Amen, Pastor, we love you. Very good. All right, we're going to keep going. Now, folks, I see Dr. Hoger's eyes. He's like, what's, what's the deal? I want to draw too. You may, sir. You may. Now, our text today starts at verse 14, which is a callback to an Old Testament story. And like the Old Testament does, it tends to foreshadow, point us to Christ Jesus and what is to come. Now, not only are we getting this foreshadowing, pointing, reminding about this story, but we're also jumping into the text here at the end of a conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus at night, making this a Nick at Night special. I've used that joke before, but you know this. As you get older, you can continue to use the same jokes. It is allowed. Now, at the end of this conversation, Jesus is giving Nick the answer to his question of how can anyone be born again after they have grown old. Surely we can't enter into our mother's womb a second time. And so Jesus says this in verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up. You can follow along in your bulletins or your Bible if you'd like, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now this story is from that Old Testament one that we read a little bit earlier. That's the one from Numbers. It's one that every single Jewish child would know in which the Israelites sinned against God by grumbling, and God sent these venomous serpents, right? These snakes came, and they were killing a lot of Israelites because they were abiding them. And then the Israelites confessed their sins. They begged for mercy. God tells Moses, build the bronze serpent, hold it up on a pole, and whoever looks at that will be saved and given new life. Given new life. They'll be saved, given new life, which isn't too far of a jump from the idea that they would be born anew. And no doubt, I bet, Nicodemus was playing this conversation, this one that he's having right now with Jesus throughout his head each and every time as this gospel progresses and we get a check-in in with Nicodemus. I wonder if this was going in through his mind when the Pharisees were all gathering together to saying, we must kill this man. We must literally lift him up and crucify him. I wonder what he was thinking about. This phrase, this born anew, this eternal life as he was pulling Jesus down from being lifted up on the cross. Because like us now who see it in light of the gospel, understand that there are parallels between these two stories. There is a people in danger of death because of their sin. There is God providing the agent of salvation, one being a bronze snake, one being Jesus, the Son of Man. Both of them are lifted up and both offer the people salvation by looking at or believing in God's way of salvation. However, between the two stories, there are significant differences, are there not? The bronze snake was simply that, just a piece of bronze formed into an image of a snake with no saving power in itself. In fact, did you know that later on the Israelites will begin to offer sacrifices to the bronze serpent, and so Hezekiah will destroy it? But with Jesus, he alone is the Savior, the one with the saving power the one who is worthy of our worship as we continue to do even 2,000 years later to this day, gather together to worship him. And the bronze snake could only extend your physical life for a little bit longer, while Jesus Christ gives eternal life. In fact, this is the first time that eternal life is mentioned here in John's gospel. It'll be mentioned about 17 more times throughout, and there's other word, just life itself, will be mentioned quite a bit too throughout this gospel. See, John has this way of often connecting belief in Jesus to eternal life and present life, emphasizing eternal life as something that is present now 
for those who believe, not just something that comes at the end, bringing us and making us aware of a life that is lived in the very presence of God now, a life that Jesus will describe as abundant and overflowing in John 10, a life in which God is known as the one true God who sent his Son. See, the Apostle John concludes this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus with the heart of the gospel message, one that we probably have memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, I am not in any way trying to be Captain Obvious here, but this verse is quite amazing, especially considering this gospel's general negative view of the world. Don't forget that in chapter 1, we learned that the Word became flesh, came into this world, but the world did not recognize or know this Word. That's how bad it is in the world. This world has sins of the world that a lamb needs to come and be sacrificed for. This world, we're told, loves darkness. Jesus will speak about later on how this world hates him because he testifies that its works are evil. Jesus will say he is not of this world, nor is his kingdom. Jesus will remind us that the world cannot receive the spirit of truth because it doesn't see him or know him. We may be sitting there asking ourselves, it's a wonder that God even does love this world. And if you think Nicodemus marveled at the idea of being born anew, and wondered what Jesus was talking about, what do you think he did when he heard this? It's one thing for God to love chosen Israel despite their sins, but it's crazy talk to hear Jesus say that God loves the world. And yet, and yet the Father's love for the world leads him to give his one, a one and only Son, to give his all for our salvation, the world's salvation a world that is under condemnation and in spiritual darkness on account of sin. But the Father sends His Son not to condemn, but to save the world through Him. St. Peter reminds us that the Lord wants none to perish. And so He gives His Son. I don't know about you, but I love these verses because we see so plainly and clearly the Father's heart here. The Father's actions here. We hear the Father's voice in this. The Father's heart is for His children. We see that God is motivated by love. All that the Father does, He does for us. And we've heard this so many times that maybe this has just become words that we hear, smile out, move about along in our merry way because we're familiar with them, we memorize them, and we put them on whatever signs we bring to football games. But friends, this is the very foundation of God's motivation and act of salvation for the whole world, which in the paraphrased words of Peter Quill, we happen to be one of the silly gooses who live here. Peter Quill? Star-Lord? Come on, man, Star-Lord? No? Okay. These verses get to the heart. This is God revealing himself to us. From the beginning of time, our God doesn't change, but He loves us. He loves us in a way that no one else can. Covers your faults, sits with you in your pain and brokenness, and then heals you. Jesus will say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Jesus promises that he knows us like no one else can, sees us for who we really are, sees what we have thought, said, and done, and still chooses to love us. The psalmist describes it as being searched and known, Lord. He knows when we sit and when we rise, he perceives our thoughts from afar. The Lord discerns our goings out and our lines down. He is familiar with all our ways. Before a word is on our tongue, the Lord knows it completely. He hems us in behind and before and lays his hand upon us. The Lord comes for us in a way that no one else can. Even when we try to hide, he finds us, picks us up, and brings us back to him. Psalmist continues and says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? To the heavens, you are there. Make my bed in the depths, you are there. Rise on the wings of the dawn, settle on the far side of the sea. Even there your hand guides and your right hand holds us fast. If we say, Surely the darkness will hide us and the light will become night around us. Even the darkness is not dark to our Lord nor the night, for it will shine like the day. He created us, knit us together, knows us. Nothing is hidden from us. And because he loves us, he speaks to us in a way that no one else can. Look at the voice that speaks. The Lord is not imposing. His voice is gentle and encouraging. Even when he is correcting us, he comes to console and fills us with his hope. This verse is so different than everything else that we see. So many other voices we encounter, which if we're being honest is lately quite a bit. These voices are insistent, monotonous. They try to dazzle us, tempt us, seduce us. They play on our fears and our suspicions. And when we try to ignore them, they just shout even louder and accuse us of being worthless and wrong. So many things try to pin us up against the wall, tell us to close yourself off, become rigid, become intolerant, be fearful, be sad, be irritable. So much works to enslave us. So much works to lead us to perish. And yet here, right here, we are told that the Son was sent to save. Words of promise and his action on the cross give to us a gift that we cannot on our own achieve. Salvation, life now and eternally. Participation in the divine life of the Trinity, the one that we were baptized into and received through faith in Jesus. The one that was put into our hearts to grow and become something strong in us, something that forms us, words that will define us, an action that defines us and motivates us and truly makes us free. And doesn't stop on the cross, but gives his spirit so that we can desire, have a heart just like his, to do good, to help, to serve, to have strength to go forward on the right path. So I don't think it's a coincidence 
that the evangelist John just casually drops some deep theology in an honest, clear way with this well-used and familiar metaphor of darkness and light to close out the chapter here. He says, whoever believes is not condemned, but whoever does not stands condemned already because they haven't believed in God's one and only Son. Light has come, but people love darkness instead of light. But if we live by the truth, we come into the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Friends, we receive or we reject. It is quite clear. And it is quite clear that the Father has sent His Son to the world out of love for us. Sent His Son as the light into this fallen world to bring faith. And we have been called to live by this faith. This gift of salvation is to be all-consuming. It's to influence our entire self. Not just an intellect matter, an intellectual matter to understand, but to believe, to trust, to head, heart, hands, habit, way of living and embracing this gospel. I loved how we said it earlier about not living in the dark. We stood together as one people, confessed together as one people. I don't know if you can hear it from where you sit, but when you stand up here, we have the same cadence. We pause at the same places. We don't need commas to tell us where to stop. For we are one people, broken and in need of one Savior. And while the darkness tries to consume, we strive and we run to the light to receive forgiveness, to be renewed, to be led, so that we may delight in His will, walk in his ways so that all can be done in the sight of God and for God. What we have heard, we have come to believe. We believe that his voice and his action brings us to him and to one another and brings about that in love, overflowing love. I did a little research on that word overflowing. It's the one that's used in Psalm 23 when the cup overflows. It's the one that Jesus used to describe to be pushed down, poured into our laps when we forgive. It can be that same word that John uses that Jesus talks about in John 10, the abundant life, the overflowing life. It's the one Paul will use to describe God's generosity, overflowing it's a way that you could describe the way that that father runs after the prodigal son and embraces him. It's the way that you could describe that net that is so full of fish that the night before they couldn't catch one. It is overflowing love that we see here in the voice of God and his heart for us. And it is overflowing love that has defined who we are on the cross by Jesus Christ. And this overflowing love unites us and will be the defining characteristic of the fraternity of brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ that we have and that we share with this world. Those love is what we will speak to ourselves, to our children, to our neighbor, and to all. For this is more than just one verse. This is everything.